Hey, Hope Church, it's an honor to be with you today. Um, we're here filming uh, this message from Commonwealth City Church in Lexington, Kentucky. I'm right uh, here on campus at the University of Kentucky, and campus is starting to fire up again here in Lexington. Um, of course, it's a little different in this COVID season, uh, but it's exciting to see what the Lord is starting to do and to birth here um, at UK and through Commonwealth City Church and ultimately uh, through what is a continued partnership and investment with you all. Uh, it's, it's great to, to be able to be with you today and to finish out uh, the Red Sea rules uh, or the Red Sea principles. I know that as, as dad likes to call them, um, that you all have been walking through. And this has been an incredible resource of just uh, affirming a, a, you and affirming your journey and affirming the journey of believers in Jesus, but also reminding us uh, just really valuable truths and lessons about the Lord. In fact, I want to start off by reviewing some of these principles today, even before we get into our time together and before we pray today. Um, the first one is that as we look back to, to the nine that we've gone through, uh, that God means for you to be where you are. That's principle number one. He, he intends for you to be present and intends for you to be uh, invested right where you are. Number two is that a, a reminder for us to be more about God's glory than about our own personal relief. More about his glory than our own personal relief. Number three is to acknowledge the enemy, but to be focused and keeping our eyes on the Lord and on truth. Uh, number four is to pray. That's it. We need to be people that pray. Number five is to stay calm and confident that God is at work. Uh, we know that the Holy Spirit never ceases to be working in the world. And for us to have a confidence that, in that. Number six is to take the next obedient step. Uh, that's a principle that is uh, drenched in Hope Community Church. Uh, that we are people that take the next obedient step. Number seven is that we envision and recognize his presence. In fact, that's kind of a Christmas slogan. We, we say it often, Emmanuel, God with us. He is present with us everywhere we go. So we need to envision and recognize his presence with us. Number eight is we trust God to be a deliverer. He always delivers. He always comes through. Number nine, we view a current crisis, whatever current crisis we're in, we view it as a faith builder and ultimately even uh, find that our faith is sustained through even the most difficult seasons and most difficult times. And then today, we're on the final one, number 10. It's that we not forget to praise. So I'm going to read our scripture today in uh, Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. And we're going to read that together. And then we're going to uh, pray as we get into our message on Red Sea principle number 10. It says this, this is the song of Moses is the subtitle. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him for my father's good and I will exalt him. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for this truth in your word today. We thank you for this principle of not forgetting to praise and to give you recognition and to give you glory. God, I pray that today you challenge us um, with, with a reminder to be a praising people. 
Um, like Paul says, we're going to talk about later. Um, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Lord, call our hearts and our minds to think about such things. Uh, Jesus, we, we pray for our time together today that this be a principle that take root in our hearts. This be a truth that, that establish itself in our hearts and in our lives. Um, and Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit preach a second sermon that's greater than anything I could say or communicate, uh, that, that knows exactly how to how to invite truth to land in our hearts and to, and to take root and to grow. Uh, we pray for that, um, and, and we expect that. And Jesus, we, we ask these things in your name. Amen. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on in Exodus chapter 15. As you know, the story thus far has been that the people of God have been in slavery in Egypt. Um, the Lord appointed Moses to go and, and, and lead them out of slavery to, to confront the Pharaoh, um, to, to demand that God's people be, be let go and to be released. And there's been a journey of that. And then last week, as, as they crossed the Red Sea, you know, we're getting to the, to the conclusion of this book with its title um, about the Red Sea. As they crossed the Red Sea, it becomes this huge moment in the entire narrative of Scripture. In fact, there are moments throughout the entire narrative of scripture from Genesis to Revelation that call back a remembrance of what God did as he brought the people out of Egypt and into or toward the promise on their journey to the promised land and he crossed the Red Sea. And what we know that happened is, and I want to point out something in our text today, is in Exodus 15, the very first word, the very first word that we see recorded in Exodus 15 uh, is the word then. Then. Then Moses sang. Then Moses and the people of God sang. There is a sense of immediacy that happens that when they got across the Red Sea, when they saw the wall of water coming and just, you know, just drench and drown out Pharaoh's army and, and for the Lord to, to, to save them and to rescue them, but also put an end to, to, the, to the army that was pursuing them. When you see this happen, when they see this happen, their first instance was immediately then, then to praise. And in fact, we see the first recorded song in scripture right here in Exodus chapter 15. We know that brings up a question for us today. When you've reached the other side of your biggest obstacle, when you've reached the other side of, of the thing that, that has been the, the hardest for you to overcome, was your immediate first response to praise? Or was it maybe relief? Was it maybe finally take a deep breath and relax? If you're anything like me, sometimes overcoming a difficulty or overcoming a hardship or overcoming an obstacle can really, like, I, I can become cloaked in approval. Like, I did it. I made it. And sometimes even pride. But a question I have to ask myself is, when we get through a season of difficulty, hardship, and suffering, is our first response always to praise? How often is your first response to praise? That day we're filming here in Lexington, and if the camera were zoomed way, way, way in, you would see like tons of little bits of paint all over my hands and probably even my arms. I've just uh, moved into a new home this past weekend, closed on a house here in Lexington, and began the process of transitioning and moving everything in. And as you know, when 
new things happen, when something like a new home happens, there's all this work to be done. In fact, I didn't think at the time when I was signing my papers to close on the house that for the next four days or five days, I was going to be constantly doing little projects or painting or all this stuff. And for those of you that have owned homes before, remember moving into your home, you're probably like, yeah, I could have told you that one. I'm sure you could have. Somebody should have imparted this wisdom on me. But, but I found myself from signing papers and getting a set of keys and mo- moving immediately to all the work that needed to be done. I had to move stuff in. I had to paint this. I had to reimagine that. I, I had to reconstruct this. I had to do this little, you know, do-it-yourself DIY project. I had to channel my inner Chip and Joanna Gaines and try to get the next project done. But I learned a valuable lesson. I had some faithful friends come by even last night. Um, a friend named Zach, Kristen, and Leah. And they came by and they saw the house and they wanted to see it. And, and Eden, Zach, and Kristen's daughter, they came by and wanted to see the house. And right before they left, they said, can we just pray? Can we pray in your home? And we took a moment. And I'm sitting there pausing to host my dear friends while I need to, get, need to make sure my roller's not drying out with paint in the other room. Like I need to be hanging this mirror and doing all this stuff. I took a moment to, to stop doing the work. And in the midst of stopping doing the work, Zach and Kristen and Leah and Eden said, hey, can we pray? Can we pray? And they went around and started praying over our house. Those of us that were there helping me as well, Kayla and Corey and and some others joined in. And we just prayed over the space, prayed over the house, prayed over the rooms, prayed over what the Lord might do in that space, thanked him for being a provider, thanked him for being faithful. And I learned a valuable lesson about, about prayer and praise. And it's this. We don't always have to move on to the next task. We don't always have to move on to the next project. That when the Lord provides a good work for us, that's the right time to praise him. That's the right time. In fact, we're going to talk about this even more going on. But there's, in fact, moments to praise him every step of the journey. In the celebration of the arrival as the people of Israel got on the other side of the Red Sea, but also in the journey itself. Those are all the right times to praise him. And my confession and almost embarrassment is I didn't even take a minute to sit back and to thank the Lord for his faithfulness and his provision, his, uh, his, his grace and mercy and goodness to me. I moved right on to the next task, and I'm thankful that I had faithful friends who reminded me the importance to stop and to pause and to celebrate and to praise. You know, it's easy to praise in moments of celebration and success. So we're going to talk about how the whole journey is actually the appropriate time to praise God. But what about the hard moments? You know, when I read this song in Exodus 15, as Moses and the people of Israel sing out about God being their God and um, uh, their, the God of their salvation, that they're his strength and his, and his song. I'm reminded of Psalm 136. Um, in Psalm 136, there's, it's, it's, a, it's a psalm that's actually what's commonly referred to in the Psalter as a psalm of ascent. And what that means is that the people of God would take pilgrimages and, and be on this rhythm and routine of going to the temple. They would go to the temple different times of the year for different festivals, different declarations where they would, uh, you know, participate in temple practices. 
um, that the Lord had required of them. And on their way up to the temple, they would sing these psalms. So the psalms of ascent were the psalms and the songs that they would sing as they went up to the temple. And there's a number of them in, in the psalms. And so these choir masters uh, that were leading these chants and leading these songs, so it's like an ancient worship leader, you know, it's like Logan, but an ancient version of him, um, would be inviting the people of God to, to sing and to praise and to remember. And it's funny that I mentioned this story of the Exodus finds itself throughout the narrative of scripture, but, but there's this moment in Psalm 136, verse starting in verse 11, it says, and, and brought out Israel from among them for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. He overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, his steadfast love endures forever. If you notice anything about that that little st stanza there, you notice that there is a statement of truth about the Lord and then a refrain that says, for his steadfast love endures forever. In fact, Psalm 136, that's every single verse in the Psalms. It talks about the different attributes or the different stories of who God is. And then it has this refrain, his steadfast love endures forever. You can kind of see this is one of the first call and response anthems in the Old Testament, that they would call out uh, a declaration of who God is and then hit this, the, the, the consistent reminder, his steadfast love endures forever. But have you ever read Psalm 137? It's literally the next chapter over. Psalm 137 is a slightly different setting. Now, the Psalms don't always run chronologically. They're pieced together in, in different rhythms and different parts. But Psalm 137 doesn't follow a journey to the temple. Psalm 137 is about the choir masters again, but this time it's about the choir masters as they are in captivity in Babylon. And they're in Babylon as the temple had been destroyed and the people of God once again taken into slavery and into captivity uh, by a rival nation. And God had allowed this to happen, had a lesson in store for them. And, and, and you know, this is what would, would line up, would be cohesive with like Jeremiah and, 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 and the books of the prophets. You could see some of the history uh, in Chronicles and Kings. But, but here the choir masters are. Psalm 136, they're, they're leading these chants and these reminders and these remembrances and these praises to who God is. And Psalm 137, it says this. I want to read it to you today. By the waters or the rivers of Babylon, these are the, choir, the same choir masters, we sat and we wept when we remembered the Lord's city, Zion. On the poplar trees, we hung our harps. For there our captors, those that had captured them, required for us songs. And they said to us, sing for us the songs of Zion. But how can we sing the song of the Lord while in a foreign land? You see, these same choir masters that led these chants, these declarations, these remembrances of who God is, when they found themselves not in a moment of worship, in a moment of joy and adoration and everything going right, when they found themselves in a moment of hardship by the waters of Babylon in captivity 
enslaved again, oppressed again. And the tormentors, the, the Babylonians said, sing us a song of the Lord. Their response was, how can we? How can we sing a song of God while we're in a foreign land? And here comes a lesson for us today. Was God more with the Israelites when they crossed the Red Sea than when they faced it? Was he more with them when they were in the midst of the, the, the most oppressive slavery? Or was, or was he more with them when they were entering the promised land as they would find out in, after some years of desert wandering? Is he more with them in the journey with the walls of water beside them than he was um, you know, when, when they were singing these praises at the end. No, no, no. The answer is that he is with them always, equally present with them in every single thing. And so we know that the same thing is true of these choir masters who are leading a similar song that on the way to the temple, like the Lord is with them, but also in their captivity again, he finds himself with them as well. And that truth is a reminder to us. Why do we praise in the moments of hardship? Why do we praise in the tough parts of the journey? Because the presence of God ensures us that we are never in a foreign land. The presence of God ensures me and you that we are never in a foreign land. His fullness of his spirit in my life and in yours is a promise. In fact, it is a deposit, as the New Testament will write, guaranteeing our inheritance that we are never far from home. But if you're anything like me, You've been in scenarios, you've been in circumstances, you've been in seasons that where you are feels anything like home. But home isn't a place our feet are. Home is a place that our promise is. And that promise is that he is always with us. Psalm 16, another psalm, says that in his presence we find fullness of joy at his right hand, our pleasures forevermore. Now that doesn't sound like enemy territory to me. But if I'm honest, I have let seasons of suffering, seasons of hardship, seasons of sin, seasons of anything and everything, tell me, lie to me, speak, speak a, a deceit over me that I'm not home. But the truth of the gospel says that because of the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ, because his Spirit comes to fill the life of every person that confesses and believes in him that we are never not at home. I don't know if you've been in a season of suffering where you feel like the Lord is anything and everything but present. A friend, I would remind you today to lean in, to seek truth and to trust and to hear from your father reminds you that you're home. Or maybe You've been caught in a season of sin and you think there's no way, there's no way dad would even let me come home right now. Well, maybe, maybe you need to do a, a, a recheck on that prodigal son story and realize that your sin doesn't kick you out of the house when it comes to the way the Lord loves you and lavishes his grace and mercy on you. Now, I said this a couple weeks ago here in this room at Commonwealth that um, sometimes I think our image of our loving father is one that would come bail us out of jail, so to speak, like come bail us out if we got in trouble, but he would do it with the scowl on his face. No, 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 friend. I want you to know that no matter what season you're in, a suffering, of sin, of hardship, that, that the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that because of the work of Jesus, 
your father delights in you, that he sings songs over you, that he rejoices over you, and that he is mighty to save. There is no sin, there is no suffering, there is no distance that can ever be a farther distance than his reach of salvation and grace and mercy over your life. It's not possible. And that sounds ridiculous, but that's the truth of the gospel, that the work of Jesus reaches farther than we could ever distance ourselves. He never meets you with a scowl. He always meets you with delight. And you want to know why? Because he's always welcoming you home. You are never in a foreign place. You are always at home. We praise God because that truth is not conditional to our circumstance, but that truth that his far-reaching presence and far-reaching um, work of salvation to pull us home, that truth is not because of our condition, it's because, or, or our circumstance, it's because of his character. We're kind of journeying, I know we're in the Red Sea rules here uh, in the Exodus story, but we're kind of journeying through the Psalms a little bit today. Psalm 23, what does King David say? King David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in, in, in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. For who? For his name's sake. For his name's sake, he does it. And so how do we know we can praise God because of his character? Because his name is on the line. And every time he meets with you, his name is on the line. And the character that he has pledged for me and you is one that always welcomes you home. So why wouldn't it welcome our praise? Do you want to know why Moses and the people of God sang and celebrated? It's because they felt like they were finally going home. But the truth is that with the presence of the Lord, they were always home. They were always home. In Philippians chapter 4, the apostle Paul writes, If there is anything excellent or praiseworthy, that those should be things that we think about. What was excellent and praiseworthy for the people of God? when they got to the other side of the Red Sea, when they walked through on the dry land, when, when the waters came crashing down. I mean, we could name off a list of things. You know, God saved generations from slavery. He, he proved himself faithful. He, he it led them to the finishing of his promise. Now, we know they still had a journey ahead of them uh, through years of wilderness wandering, but he was leading them to a land of promise that he had established for them even generations beforehand. We know those things are there. There's a list of praiseworthy things going on in the life of the people of God that they are singing and celebrating about, even though they just reached one of the many milestones, which was crossing the Red Sea. But let's ask that question about us. What's excellent and praiseworthy in our life? What are some things that are excellent and praiseworthy that you can think about? That you can meditate on? That you can remember? And in fact, if we're honest, we probably don't do that enough. I would even encourage you at the conclusion of this message today to not just move on to whatever's next on your schedule. To not just move on to lunch or to the thing that's on your to-do list or or your favorite show, or whatever it is that's coming up next for you. But to sit down, maybe invite your friends or your family, and if it's not um, in person, maybe do it via text or via phone call, and, and start to develop a list. What are some things that are excellent and praiseworthy that we can think on? And let's take it a step farther. What are some things that are excellent and praiseworthy that we can talk about? How's God proven himself faithful to you? 
How's God proven himself true to you? Last week, um, our, our dad led the, the song, you know, thank the Lord he didn't sing it, but the tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise and to trust and to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved it over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. What are some ways that he's proved it for you? What are some places of praiseworthiness or excellence that's there? And while we're asking questions, let's ask a few more today. If that's the concluding question, what are some praiseworthy things we can think about and talk about? What if we go back to the beginning of our time and say, is there something that you've overcome or achieved or accomplished and moved right on to the next task? Well, that's a good invitation for you to praise him in that too. Maybe you're right in that right now. Transition. You, something celebratory has happened and you are right on to the next. Um, the, the former basketball coach in me was always bad at celebrating wins because you know what happens right after a win? Another game, another practice, something we need to fix, something we need to work on. And we need to take time to celebrate and to praise and to appreciate and to be grateful for what the Lord's done. Or maybe this question, let's revisit Psalm 137. Have you ever hung your harp? Have you ever been somebody that was praiseworthy until the thing happened, until the crisis came, until the hardship or the suffering came? And now I don't know how to sing, Andrew. I don't know how. I've hung my harp. I don't know how to sing the songs of the Lord in the place that feels like anything and everything but home in a foreign land. Have you hung your harp? I don't know what's caused you to do that. I don't know if it's a season of suffering, hardship, pain, hurt, sin. I don't know. But how would the Lord remind you today that he's with you and he's for you? How would the Holy Spirit of God speak to your heart today and say that's your home? And again, I would ask you to just create some space. If, you take, if you're, if you're uh, responding to this or taking a few minutes after this, create some space and ask the Lord, to remind you of his presence and his provision in your life in even the toughest, most difficult moments. To remind you that you still have a story to tell and a song to sing and that your harp doesn't belong in a tree. And then lastly, to revisit the first question, if there's something excellent and praiseworthy, fills your heart with gratitude. Don't just think about it. Talk about it. Tell, tell other people. Invite them in. And ask them, what's the thing going on in their life where the Lord's proven faithful to them? We apply those things today, and I don't think it's possible that we can miss on Red Sea principle number 10. And that's that we don't forget to be a people motivated by praise. Let's pray, Let's pray today. Father, we thank you so much for this truth in your word. This truth in the story, the narrative of, of the Israelites being led out of Egypt, but that's still truth for us today that we can be a people, we get to be a people that offer praise, adoration, awareness of your provision, of your faithfulness, of your deliverance, of your grace, of your mercy, your salvation, uh, of your promise that's extended to us. We are people. Really, all, all the weapon we've got, the only weapon we've got is one that offers praise. Father, may you move us to be a people that are praiseworthy, you remind our hearts the places that are praiseworthy and excellent. Um, that we think about them, but we also talk about them. 
And God, if, if we've hung our hearts because of a tough season, whether it's a season of, of decision-making that we've made where we feel distant from you or a season that's just been over, overwhelmed by hardship, pain, um, or suffering, difficulty, Lord, would you remind us to give us a new song to sing so we can pick our harp out of the tree and sing the songs of the Lord because we are truly through the work of Jesus, home. Lord, remind our hearts of that today. We bless your name, Jesus. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen.